Good morning, Restoration. My name is uh, Father Scott Cunningham, and I pastor Christ Church Madison, which is uh, a sister church of yours. We are a younger sister in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, we can still be friends, even though I'm not really that much of a Packer fan, so don't worry. Um, I won't make any Packer illustrations during this sermon. Um, but I love Rick and Molly. I know some of you in your church. I love your church. Uh, I have had what I've called a, a church crush on restoration for a while. And um, Rick and Molly were such huge helps to us. And your church was such an inspiration for our planning Christ Church in, in Madison. Again, we're about a year behind you guys. So it's been a longing for me to come and be at restoration and just be with you or to preach with you for so long. And I did not think my first interaction with you all would be like this, where I'm basically uh, preaching into a, a camera by myself in a room. But uh, what we do in these situations, as we're doing through all of the season of coronavirus, is we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, I just want to pray that we have a bond together, as we do throughout our diocese, but particularly this morning, uh, as we are coming under the scriptures together, um, I pray that we would have a bond in the Holy Spirit and that we would feel uh, that we are brothers and sisters, even though I'm not physically present with you. One day, someday soon, uh, I cannot wait to come up there and meet you all. And we're so eager to have Rick preach at our church um, next week. He's going to do the same for us. So would you pray with me really quick, just wherever you are in your room or apartment, house, um, Let's just come before the Father together. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we utterly trust uh, in your power. We trust in your love. We trust in your ability, Lord, to bind us together, uh, even though we are scattered and dispersed this morning. We trust in the power of your scriptures, Lord, to pierce through um, layers of fog and confusion and pain and just maybe boredom. Um, so many different things that are setting in in this season, Lord. We trust that your word would pierce through and divide bone and marrow and flesh and spirit this morning. Oh, Lord, we need your word. And we ask that, uh, Jesus, your voice would be heard towards each of us this morning. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, I've titled this sermon, Hope for the Dispersion, because we are in a season of dispersion. Uh, dispersion might not be a word you use every day, but uh, coronavirus has scattered us, each to his or own, own home, and that dispersion is taking its toll on us. And I know from Rick that you all long to gather, gather together again, just as our church does, and I believe you worship in the Nokomis Community Center, and you long to taste the sweetness of embodied fellowship again. Uh, and even if you're not a regular attender at Restoration and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I'm sure you feel this toll of longing to be reunited together as a people. And just around the globe, we all are not meant to be like this and be so isolated. Um, well, interesting enough, in, in Eastertide, our lectionary, which is our Bible reading plan, has us studying 1 Peter, which is such a powerful book. So grab your Bible and open up with me to 1 Peter. And uh, I am not just saying that. If you heard me say it, I'll say it again. If you have a Bible in your home, go and grab it because I want to walk with you for, through 1 Peter 1 this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, email Rick 
and he will personally buy one and drive to your house and drop it off on your front porch for you to have. Um, but grab your Bible. We're turning to 1 Peter, and it's 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter is towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. And I want you to look at verse 1 with me. So I'll give you a second there. All right, 1 Peter Verse 1, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This letter, which we are currently studying, is a letter to people who are dispersed. It's not a letter to a group of people altogether. It's a letter meant to unify a bunch of scattered people across a broad region. Um, and all these places that it's talking about in this first chapter is all over kind of what's um, modern-day Turkey. So it'd be ancient Asia Minor, and this is way bigger. Think of like even bigger than Minnesota. And if you have some Bibles, uh, that, that word dispersion in verse 1 might actually be capitalized in your Bible. Um, you might have a translation that says something like, to those who are scattered or something like that. But in my Bible, it's capitalized, and that's because that word is a proper name. It's the Greek word diaspora. And that word diaspora has deep significance in the context of the Bible. Um, you see, God gave people, the people of Israel the land of Canaan as an inheritance. If you're familiar with the story of Scripture, the, the promised land. Um, but from the point of about 597 BC, the people of Israel were dispersed. They were scattered. They were taken into exiles to be strangers in strange lands and thus became the diaspora, the dispersion. Um, some returned eventually, but not all the people of Israel. And their longing as the diaspora in the Old Testament was the same longing that you feel now. Now, granted, utterly different because it's multiplied by centuries and augmented through bloodshed and suffering and so much. Yet even so, there's a kernel of similarity there. The exile dispersion, they long for what we do. They wanted to come together again as one, in one place, and to hear the festal shout of God's people. And if you read the Old Testament, again, if you're familiar with the Bible, that colors every page and book of the Old Testament, that idea of exile. And what do you know? Here we see the Apostle Peter on the other side of Jesus calling these new Christians who are probably worshiping in house churches throughout ancient Asia Minor, so probably something not too unsimilar to what you're doing this morning. He's calling the church the dispersion, those in exile. And that would be wild if they were Jewish Christians. But what's fascinating is we know from this book that he's actually talking to Gentiles, or in other words, people who are not Jewish. So what can he mean? These people aren't longing to return to Jerusalem. They're not Jews. Many of them are probably living in the town they grew up in. So why would he call them the dispersion or those in exile? Peter is pointing out something that Jesus and the rest of the New Testament confirm, and that is that there is a deeper exile and dispersion that all humanity experiences, and that is the exile of being scattered from our dwelling place with God. You experience this, whether you're a Minnesotan or you're a Wisco kid, uh, whether you're African-American or Norwegian-American, whether you're Russian or Chinese, Jewish or Palestinian. 
The Bible begins with a picture of humanity and God dwelling together in harmony. This is the picture of Eden that we get. But through sin and death, we've been scattered, dispersed, east of Eden. And even though we might not all have vocabulary for this experience that we have, this longing that we feel, we all feel the burden of the longing to come together again as one, to dwell in harmony with one another, and most importantly, with God himself. This is fundamental to the human experience, and I don't have long to talk about this, about how you can trace this through all history and literature and art. Um, but let me just give you one quote, my favorite one from J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. He says this, We all long for Eden, and we are constantly glimpsing it. Our whole nature at its best and least corrupted, its gentlest and most human, is still soaked with the sense of exile. Soaked with the sense of exile. Tolkien's just saying that's part of what it means to be human. That's what Peter's talking about when he speaks to the church as the dispersion. This is what Jesus is talking about when he tells us that he's going to prepare a place for us in his father's house. The gospel is a homecoming. Jesus has come to gather you and bring you and everyone else home out of exile. So here's the kicker. Yes, we are dispersed now. Yes, we feel the ache of shelter at home, coronavirus exile. But when you all gather together again, and this is all over, Peter will still address your church, Restoration Anglican, as the dispersion. And that's because your goal is not Nokomis Community Center. Your goal is heaven. And if we were together, I would expect an amen at this point. Your goal is not Nokomis Community Center in life. Your goal is heaven. And so I want to encourage you to let the longings and the trials of this season, of this coronavirus season, lead you into a deeper understanding and grasp of our earthly exile. Our current COVID dispersion has something to teach us if we allow it. And on the flip side, First uh, Peter has so much to teach us about what it means to walk in the pain of dispersion with hope and faith. He's addressing these people as those who are scattered and suffering and dispersed, and he's going about he's going to encourage them. So I hope you're excited about reading the rest of this book because wow, if you're like I feel dispersed, I want to know what Peter has to say. So again, flip with me to First Peter. Um, this little paragraph of verses 3 to 9 is one of the, the gems of the New Testament. And though there's a lot here, I just want to pull out two things. And that is that Peter gives the church reasons to rejoice in their dispersion, and he gives them perspective for their grief in their dispersion. Let me say that again. Uh, mainly in, in these verses 3 to 9, he gives them reasons to rejoice, even though they're dispersed. And he gives them perspective for their grief, how to understand it in their dispersion. Um, grab your Bible, and if you look at it, these two things come together, I think, in verse 6, which acts as kind of the fulcrum or turning point of Peter's argument. So read verse 6 with me. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You can see how he refers to rejoicing in the first half of that verse and grieving in the second. And that's basically the makeup of all the all of paragraph of verses 3 to 9. Um, everything leading up to verse 6 are the reasons to rejoice. In this you rejoice. 
And then the, everything that follows it is perspective um, that Peter is giving for our grief. So let's look first at these reasons to rejoice. Why, why should we rejoice right now in verses 3 to 5? Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. We'll just stop there for now. Um, besides being such a beautiful passage, Peter's being, Peter is being really purposeful and specific in his encouragement. And uh, he's writing to people who are in exile, and so he's going to speak into the three areas of what I think are the greatest kind of dispersion, exile, insecurities that we experience. The first one, I think, is faith. He knows that in times of trial and suffering, one of the first, first things that we ask and question sometimes is, where is God? Does God see me? Is he taking a break? Um, if this is happening, how can God be good? And maybe you thought some of these questions during coronavirus that your, your faith actually and your kind of visible experience or presence with God has been thrown for a loop. I know we've experienced this in our church. A lot of us are asking these questions. And if you are, people in the Bible do as well. You're not alone. Second, he's going to talk about their inheritance. And I think that's really interesting because in exile, uh, this is a crushing insecurity. There's no inheritance for dispersed people. Now, for folks in Jesus' day, this was a much bigger day than it might be for a much bigger thing than it might be for them than for us. And yet, I think we get this because the economy uh, is being threatened right now. And along with the economy comes many of our inheritance. So during COVID, we're asking questions like, what's going to happen to everything that I've worked for and accomplished? What's going to happen to my 401k? Um, if the stock market crashes and if I lose my job or my business goes under, what's going to happen? That's a real question that we're asking. And third, Peter talks about the people themselves. Um, the insecurity I hear, which I know I've chatted about with a lot of folks in our church in Madison, is will I vanish in the middle of this? Am I going to be forgotten? Am I just going to blur away um, in the midst of all this kind of self-isolation and shelter at home? Peter knows these folks have these insecurities, as do we, and so he speaks right into it. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter reminds the diaspora that we have been born again to a living hope. I hope it's not fuzzy, it's not ethereal. It's not just philosophical. It's not a fool's hope. No, it's a living hope. And it's living because, as you can see, Peter connects it directly to the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter begins by reminding these people of Easter. Nothing was more crushing than the cross. No separation was greater than Good Friday. Jesus descended to the dead. And yet joy came with the morning. God did not abandon the soul of Christ to death. He did not let his body see decay. And so our hope lives because Jesus lives. He's not gone anywhere. Then look what he says about our inheritance. I love this. This is so good. To an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you hear him speaking directly into our dispersion anxiety? The flood of coronavirus and life can sweep away many things. Much in this life can be lost or hindered or defiled or thrown into question. A depression can happen. We can lose our job. We can suffer. But Peter's saying your inheritance, the one that matters, the one that's eternal, is untouchable. It's imperishable. Death and evil and disease will never compromise it. Um, one of the things that has struck me just looking at this, uh, if you are, if you would call yourself a Christian and you're following Jesus, is how important the idea of a, the Christian inheritance is to the writers of the New Testament. Um, you see them rejoicing in it and talking about it and relishing in it and clinging to their inheritance as adopted daughters and sons in the kingdom of God all the time. And I don't know about you, if this is something that you guys do all the time at Restoration, I'm thrilled about that, but I don't find that I talk about that or think about that in my personal prayer life a lot. But that is absolutely significant. That's what Peter chooses to talk about to these people who are scattered and suffering, is that their inheritance exists, that it's beautiful, and that it's untouchable and imperishable. There's really another sermon there. It's just a two-second aside on how significant the inheritance of God is for the people of God in terms of our Christian hope. Anyways, let's look on and see how he talks about us, about that insecurity, about what about me? Is anybody looking to me? Start with me in the end of verse 4. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. I love his choice of words, guarded through faith by God's power. Uh, in our dispersion, we're not forgotten. If you feel that way, you are not forgotten. We're not left to fend for ourselves while we wait for our inheritance. Rather, we are guarded through faith. We're seen. And so we get to the beginning of verse 6. In this you rejoice. Um, these are precious truths that are meant to pierce us in all of this craziness and fill us with longing and hope. Um, you should feel when you... I recommend going back over this passage over your day if you if you just want to soak in these a little bit. Feel the concrete getting poured into your hope and building you up. But he doesn't leave it there, and I love this. Uh, Peter doesn't leave just like a pie in the sky, Jesus in the clouds picture to people who are suffering. Um, he then pivots, and he speaks right into their pain. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And when you're suffering feeling the weight of your exile, it is so important to hear reasons to hope. Um, and I hope just beyond this sermon, like I said, you go back and look at this, but it must be paired with a sober affirmation of pain. The Bible just talked about hope and it didn't address our suffering, it would be worthless. If Jesus just popped out of the grave and didn't die on the cross, it wouldn't be the gospel. That's why we love the gospel, uh, because Jesus did into our suffering and he rose from the grave victoriously. And this is what Peter's doing for the diaspora. He's given them reasons to rejoice first. I love how he starts with reasons to hope, with giving them unchanging truths. Um, but then he, he acknowledges their suffering. He doesn't deny it. So read with me uh, just 6 to, to 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh man, what riches here. Um, just two things in terms of perspective for grief that I think Peter offers us that are both true and amazing for us to think about now in coronavirus and also just in all of life. And the first is this. The trials will not last forever. Trials will not last forever. Do you notice that in verse 6? Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved. When we suffer, we're always tempted to think this is the end. You know, the rest of my life will be like this. But Peter reminds them, it's only for a little while. This is so important for us with coronavirus. Everything happening right now is necessary, and it's for a little while. Um, but it's not the end, end of the story. People have endured far worse, and life will go on. But it's also significant for all those things that honestly sting us more in life than shelter at home or the economy. Um, things that bring us our greatest and deepest wounds and suffering. And in the light of the resurrection, all suffering has an expiration date. Because of Easter, sin and death are not the last word, but joy is. And this is our hope. Um, one time I went with some friends to hike the Appalachian Trail, and I was in my uh, 20s, and I was very foolish, and I grew up in the suburbs, and so I like didn't bring enough water or food, and we got lost and didn't understand how to read a topographical map, and so we ended up doing something way too intense that we shouldn't have, and it utterly fell apart. And with days to go, I was dehydrated and out of food and like almost fading and was probably in much worse condition than I actually knew I was. But I endured it because I knew on the other side of hiking the Appalachian Trail, there was Calhoun's barbecue awaiting me on the Tennessee River in Knoxville. And I knew that when I got to Calhoun's, I was going to bathe in sweet tea and cornbread and apple butter and brisket and pulled pork and banana cream pudding with a little vanilla wafers in it. And I got there and bathe I did. Uh, that was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. But because I knew that was coming, I knew that my fatigue and soreness and thirst was only necessary for a little while longer. And so I hoped. There's a direct connection between hope and endurance. If your hope is great, your endurance is great. If your hope dies, your will dies. Peter's already reminded us that we have a living hope, right? And now he's reminding us that our trials are temporary. Praise God. And those two are linked. You have a living hope. You have an inheritance. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've experienced trials. And now just our second perspective as I'm wrapping up here is that our grief is purifying our faith in Jesus. It has a purpose. Um, I just can't, don't have enough time to fully get into this. Um, and Peter is going to go on to talk about this a lot. But the things that we're suffering right now have a so that. For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And then look at verse 7. So that 
the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In our exile, we suffer trials of many and various kinds. And though God does not delight in suffering, God never wastes suffering. Praise God. God is at work. He's refining our faith like gold. You see Peter picking up that blessed Old Testament image of our faith being purified by fire. He's showing us what is perishable. The economy, our health, so many things in this life. And he's teaching us what is not. And what this refining period brings into focus more than anything is Jesus himself. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him in your dispersion and in your suffering, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So in our dispersion, uh, restoration Anglican, um, in our longing to return, we have reasons to rejoice. Um, I would highly recommend memorizing over the next week, verses 3 to 9. It will do you nothing but good. We have so many reasons to rejoice. There are things that are untouchable by coronavirus and death in the economy. Praise God. And also, this gives us perspective for what we're going through. It gives us endurance because we have hope. It gives us a way to understand that our faith is being refined in the middle of it. So what a timely word for us. And my prayer is that one day, when you do return to your beloved community center at Nokomis, you'll keep your longing with you, and you'll keep your hope with you, uh, to take with you into the rest of your life, knowing that, as Peter will say later, that we are conducting ourselves in this life as in exile, that we are strangers in a strange land, and we are longing for our home to be in the Father's house where Jesus is preparing a room for us. Blessings to you all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.